Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to worship at Marymount Community Church. We are glad you are with us today. And uh, we're continuing in our series called Astonished. And uh, this is week three. So I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And as you do that, let me uh, just uh, remind you um, that uh, we will be having the women's retreat on February 6th. Sign up for that. There's information on the slides that are going by before and after the service. So uh, join in. It's going to be awesome with Beth Guckenberger. Uh, you will not be disappointed. So our call to worship today, we, we are doing this series with the message first <clears throat> and the musical worship uh, afterwards so we can inform ourselves about who God is. But I, I wanted to start us this morning in a spirit of worship. So uh, in chapter 11, verse 33 of Romans, Paul has been writing about the doctrines of God for 11 chapters. And it's like he just loses control and he just pours out onto the page this uh, little doxology. And he says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen? Amen. That is the spirit in which we enter today's service. Uh, think about what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God doesn't need anything. God is not dependent on anybody. And that leads into uh, our focus for today. Now, the, the big idea of the Astonished series is to raise our sights on who God is is to look at what the scriptures say about him as a way to bring lofty thoughts into our worship. And so, as Tozer tells us, that our worship would be pure and would be reflecting the, the wisdom and the glory of God, the truth of God, who he actually is. So, go ahead and... Uh, Turn back in your Bibles to the previous book, the book of Acts, in chapter 17. And uh, I'm going to read today's text. And th this week we're going to focus on the self-existence, the self-sufficiency, the independence of God. Now, this is a very hard concept. It's a very hard concept. This is way outside our categories of being. And because he had no beginning, he is eternal in the past, he's internal, eternal in the future. He lives outside of time and space. So Paul, in the city of Athens, uh, gets an opportunity to share who this God really is. So let's go in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. 
Now, what you worship as something unknown, I will proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. These are the very words of God. Now, let's... uh, Let's think, about, let's think about what we've just heard. And today's big idea is this. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And uh, this, is, this is the vastness of God. This is how far beyond comprehension he is and at the same time that he actually wants relationship with you and me. The theologian uh, Wayne Grudem said this, God's independence is defined as follows. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, and yet the rest of creation, we and the rest of creation, can glorify him and bring him joy. So in other words, as vast and as amazing as he is, as incomprehensible as he is, he still wants relationship with us. So he, by his independent decision, has decided we are not meaningless. We are defined and given identity and given meaning by him. And so his declaration that he is wanting us gives us, first of all, an opportunity for a relationship that is vastly beyond anything we can imagine. He wants relationship. So we're going to do the message this morning in four parts with the big idea, he doesn't need us, but he wants us. I'm going to repeat that a lot today because I want us to go away today with this amazing awe and absolute wonder at this perfect, eternal, self-existent being, but also I want us to remember that he wants relationship with us. He has given us identity. He has given us meaning. He has given us all that we need for a relationship that's beyond our wildest dreams. So we're going to break it out into four parts. Uh, The first two verses talk about ignorance in worship, and I'm going to show us that that still exists. Second point is the self-existent life giver, who he is and what that means. And then third, the fact that he's created us gives us one common basis for our existence. And then fourthly, that he wants us to seek him. He invites us to seek him. And then I'm going to close with some application summary and a small group 
uh, questions, and then we're going to then we're going to uh, uh, have the worship team come up and worship and, and respond. So I want you to think of this as your preparation to worship in song, but I want you to be worshiping right now with your minds. I want you to think about who he actually is. So Father, as we think about your self-existence, it is outside of all of the categories with which we are familiar. So we ask now, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself, that you'd help us see who you are, that you would open our hearts, and that you would set them on fire. I pray in Jesus' name. The church agreed and said, amen. Amen. All right, good. Now, let's get situated with our text in Acts 17. Paul is in Athens. So here's a picture uh, of the city today. You see back around the Acropolis, the Parthenon. And then you see a hill in the front of that. That hill uh, is named after the Greek god of war, Ares. So hence the Areopagus is the hill of Ares. That's right there. If you are not Greek, but you're Roman, then that god's name is Mars. The god of war is Mars. So this is Mars Hill. If you've ever wondered where that comes from, it's the... It's another translation of Areopagus, okay? Now, on this hill, you have all of the elites of the time gathering. Imagine a a temple and something on top of that where people are gathering, as Paul says earlier, before what I read to you this morning, they are gathering to discuss the latest ideas, all right? So this is the place where the philosophers and the rich people and the elites of the society are gathering. And then on the right there, you see at the bottom of the hill, uh, next picture, Paul's pl- the plaque, the, the bronze plaque there, is Paul's sermon recorded for all time uh, in Greek. So a lot of the people who visit here are Greek, and they can actually read that. Uh, they can read Paul's sermon. And this is possibly the first recorded TED Talk. Because it's very short, it's very brief, it's power-packed, and it's all these guys standing around discussing the latest ideas. So, the first point is this idea of ignorance. Paul says to these advanced Athenians, you guys are ignorant, and now I'm going to tell you what it is you're worshiping. So, we read that Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and said, people of Athens, I see in every way you're very religious. That word there literally means dread of demons. Dread of demons. In other words, their religiosity is mostly based on fear and superstition. That's what it meant in those days. They're serving these Greek gods who are capricious, who are uh, going to send out bolts of lightning at any one point, and who are need to be fed with worship and sacrifice. Actually, that concept of God is still very much alive uh, in, in this country today. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. That word there, unknown, is agnostos. That's where we get the idea of agnostic. They have no clue who it is they're worshiping. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, And this is what I'm going to straighten out for you today. Now, 
we might look back and we might see, well, that's not the way it is now. Well, it's very much like that today. You know, you see on television, if a professional golfer misses a putt to win a major championship, the commentators will often say something like, the golf gods were not with him today. Right? It's still the same. And our ignorance is still the same. Here's a couple of headlines. Uh, just to give you, just over the last four years, amazing number of research studies being done by Barna and lots of other people. Survey finds most American Christians are actually heretics. That means more than 50% of Christians are actually heretics because they believe things that are totally untrue. Or study Americans redefining and customizing Christianity. Now here's some of the stats, all right? 50% of the church today does not believe in absolute truth, that scriptures are absolutely true. 75% of Christians today believe that people are basically good. So you want to defund the police? No problem, because everybody's just basically good. It'll be fine. And, and they, they don't understand. This entire book talks about the total depravity of human beings the total inability of human beings to do the right thing. And that's why we need police. Because we're inherently evil. That's the problem. 44% believe that Jesus sinned. The Bible, in at least five places, said Jesus had no sin. He couldn't have sinned and be an acceptable sacrifice. It wouldn't be... It wouldn't the whole gospel falls apart if Jesus sinned, and yet almost half the church believes that's, what, that's true. 65% believe that Jesus was the first being that God created. That Jesus was a created being. Unbelievable. It says in lots of places that Jesus is the same as I am. He's the same. 50% think the Holy Spirit is a symbolic force. I don't know if that's Star Wars or New Age or what it is, but that's what the church believes. And so we have to be critical of what we're watching and what we're reading because these are absolute lies. Only 6% of the United States has a biblical worldview, meaning they will answer most of the 50 questions that Barna asks with the biblically correct answer. The rest, 94%, are illiterate. They do not have a biblical worldview. And so you wonder why people are saying, well, there's nothing wrong with abortion. 34% of the church believes that abortion is okay. The pastor elected as a senator in Georgia is one of those. A pastor is saying that's okay. 33% believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. So we are in a place where the, the Christians have completely, in the, completely in the process of remaking what the Bible says about God. So, if we're honest, we are completely ignorant in worship. 
absolutely ignorant. And I want to say to all of you here, if, if any of these points are doubtful to you or somehow not clear, you need to get into a small group. You need to get with an elder. You need to read your Bible because without this truth, we have nothing in common with the God of Scripture. We are worshiping something we have made up in our head that is absolutely offensive to God who has taken the time to give us the information we need to worship. There's a well-known global church brand and they will tell you that their number one objective in their worship services is that you leave feeling good about yourself. Not that you leave amazingly euphoric that God has made a way for you to be saved. Not that you would know the God of Israel for who he actually is and you would conform your life to him, but that you would feel good about yourself. That's, that's where we're at right now. And so here we are going to do everything in our power that you would know him as he is known in the text and you would make him known to all those around you. So that's point number one. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. So let's look at point number two. This is a God who never changes, who never learns, who's never surprised, and nothing to whom has ever occurred anything. He is constantly in a state of perfect knowledge of all things at all times, and he always just is. He knows. And he then is the self-existent life giver. So here's what Paul says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth. The world there, that Greek word is cosmos. That means universe. That could be translated universe. The God who made the universe and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Even, even the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and the Jewish sacrificial system, God often said all the time, I don't need your sacrifices. And I can put my presence there, but I'm everywhere. I'm not a God who lives in temples or human hands, and, and I'm not served as if I needed anything. Rather, I, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So he's the source of all life and everything else. So nothing that exists in the world and nothing that ever is can be given to him as a gift because it's only being returned to him because he made it. Now, this raises a number of points, but number one, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. This is the Sunday every year where we celebrate the fact that life is a sacred gift from God, that only God is in a position to give life and only God is in a position to take life. <clears throat> so we celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday we pray, and, and it is his to give away. So when we think about 
the prevalence of abortion and the absolute offense that is to a holy God. When we think about euthanasia and the absolute offense of that to a holy God, we are entering into the space where we recognize life is sacred. We are actually becoming aware of the sanctity of life. And it is all these horrible practices that we've added to the world here that offends a holy God. So sanctity of life Sunday should begin and end with an understanding that God is the self-existent life giver. He's the only one who creates life and the only one with the right to terminate it. And it goes on. Uh, he gives everything and, to, and life and breath and everything else. So paganism then is this idea of the gods need our attention and need to be served. <clears throat> paganism today has evolved. Yes, there's the commentators on TV talking about the golf gods, but paganism today means no matter what I do, God will forgive me. That's his job. That's his job. But the independence of God tells us that he is not bound to anyone or anything to forgive. He's completely independent. You can't manage him. You can't manipulate him. You can't work your salvation. You cannot possibly please him in any way, shape, or form or move him to do something that's contrived. He's independent. He's completely self-existent. It doesn't matter how many believers he has. It doesn't matter how many atheists there are. All of that doesn't affect him. He's completely self-existent. He would, have, he, would, he would not be affected one bit if nobody was saved. Because he would be completely, completely justified in his judgment since all of us have sinned to not save anyone. And so he is this complete... Why? Because he's completely satisfied in the Trinity, what Jamie talked about last week. He's, he's totally happy. He didn't need to create. He wasn't lonely. So look at this hymn uh, written here by Timothy Brindle. Uh, let, let's say this together. <clears throat> you need none. You're independent. Impossible for you to have discontentment because in yourself you're full of pleasure. Oh God, you are your own holy treasure. In yourself... You have all power and might. In yourself, you are the fountain of life. With no lack, none else can give to thee. You're fulfilled in your self-sufficiency. That's the self-sufficient life giver. That's who he is. Jesus said it this way. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus declares that the Father has life in himself. This is uh, self-life. The, 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 the theologians call this aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Aseity means I have life in myself. I'm, I'm, I don't need air. 
I don't need water. I don't need food. Uh, I am completely satisfied. Here's how Tozer describes John 5.26, his commentary. It is characteristic of Jesus' teaching that he thus, in a brief sentence, sets forth truth so lofty as to transcend the highest reaches of human thought. Whatever God is, and all that God is, he is in himself. All life is in and from God. No creature has life in itself. All life is a gift from God. The life of God, conversely, is not a gift from another. An elementary but correct way to think of God is as the one who contains all, who gives all that is given, but who himself can receive nothing that he has not given first. This is, this is to me, this is mind-blowing. This is, this is really challenging. You know, when my grandchildren begin to understand that their daddy and their mummy is where they came from, and then they realize one day that I am their daddy's daddy, then they want to know who my daddy is. And we go back, and then you finally get to the question, where does God come from? The answer is, he is. He doesn't come from anything. He doesn't have any origin. He just is. He's the beginning and the end. He's everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. All right, so he doesn't need us, but he wants us. So let's move on to point three. In verse 26, we see that we only have one basis for existence. It says this, from one man he made all the nations. By the way, that's not all the geopolitical entities around the world. Okay, that's not countries. Okay, that's nations. The, the Greek there is ethnos. That means ethnicities. So every single one of us, whether white or black or Asian or Hispanic, have come from one man. Adam, that God created, all right? So he says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now, all ethnies, all ethnicities, all people, therefore, have equal identity, they have equal image of God, they have equal dignity in the creation. So this is Martin Luther King, Jr. weekend. We're going to celebrate... Uh, that tomorrow there's going to be a march downtown. Do you know that in 2021, two days ago, I received a text from friends of mine at New Mission, we have a group text doing some devotions, that the police had issued a warning that white supremacist groups are having initiations over the course of the next week and that African Americans in this country will be captured and killed as white supremacist initiatees seek to fulfill their initiation obligations. So the text is warning, hey, don't go out by yourself, stick in pairs, etc., etc., all kinds of warnings. The fact that that's necessary 
in January of 2021 is ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. But that is what is going on. And these groups, I, I'm just praying that these groups get found and ferreted out. But we still have these people running around who believe in their warped mind that somehow God created them and then created the rest out of something else. But this text tells us from one man, he made every single ethnicity. We need to remember that this is the character of a holy God and this is, this is part of the sacredness of life that we get to experience by walking and loving in freedom and in fullness with every single person we run into. And then it goes on, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now we're talking about, uh, now we're talking about boundaries of where uh, God is working. He's absolutely sovereign over every nation. He's sovereign uh, over every nation, every boundary, and all of history. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's over the United States. Nothing takes him by surprise. Um, we will have a new president installed on Wednesday. My prayer is that he would receive as much prayer as his predecessor did, according to the commands we have in Scripture to pray for our leaders. So he doesn't need us, but he wants us. And now we come to an amazing invitation. The great I am wants us to seek him. It says in verse 27, God did all this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not, not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul's doing an interesting thing there. He's quoting some of their own poets. The first quote, we live and move and have our being, is from the Cretan philosopher Epimenides. All right? The second quote, uh, we are his offspring, comes from the Cilician Stoic philosopher Aratus. So he's using their own, their own writers to make a point, and he's making the point that he wants us to reach out to him. That word there, reach out, means grope. Because that's essentially what we do. The enemy has blinded unbelievers from knowing who God is. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says you cannot know God by human wisdom. You cannot figure it out. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says you have to hear the Holy Spirit speaking. That's how you know who God is. Well, he's saying, come on. Reach out and grope. Because, as he's promised elsewhere, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So, <clears throat> J.I. Packer explains it this way. He says, the grace of God is love freely shown towards guilty sinners, of which that's all of us, contrary to their merit and indeed in defiance of their demerit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity and had no reason to expect anything but severity. So the grace of God inviting us to reach out 
and then to bring grace and mercy to those who absolutely do not deserve it. And that is the invitation that Paul is giving uh, right there. And he says that uh, he's not far. He's not far from any one of us. Why? Because he's omnipresent, self-existent, self-sufficient, completely independent. He can go wherever he wants and draw anybody he wants. Now that word in verse 28 is being. It's the, word, the Greek word amy, E-I-M-I. Amy, say that. Yeah, so God describes himself as ego amy. I exist in myself. Now this first comes up in Exodus 3 in the Bible where Jesus speaking to Moses, right? It says that the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush. Jesus is the pre-incarnate. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. And he says to Moses, I am who... What am Moses said, what are we going to call you? What if they say, what if they ask me your name? He says, I am who I am. Or, as Popeye would say, I is that I is. Or as translators would take this text, I will be what I will be. Yahweh. It's a mind-blowing name. Yahweh. Actually, every time you breathe in and exhale, you're saying his name. Yahweh. Every time you breathe, you're saying his name. I am that I am. Why? Because I'm going to send you to the Israelites. God always calls people and sends them. He called Moses. He called Jesus. Jesus puts himself in the very same category. He says, very truly I tell you. He's trying to preach the gospel to the Jews who won't believe him and who say they have their own father. <coughs> their father is Abraham, in this case. They also think Moses is their father. But in this case, they say Abraham's our father. And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Ego eimi. I have the same self-existence that the father has. And Paul, who was also sent, puts it in the third person. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. I am, I am, he is. He is eternal. He is self-existent, but he's always reaching out. Here's what J.I. Packer says about this amazing God. He says, God was happy without humans before they were made. He would have continued happy had he simply destroyed them after they had sinned. <clears throat> but as it is, he has set his love upon particular sinners, and this means that by his own free voluntary choice, he will not know perfect and unmixed happiness again till he has brought every one of them to heaven. He has in effect resolved that henceforth, for all eternity, 
his happiness shall be conditional upon ours. Thus, God saves not only for his glory, but for his gladness. So now the one who doesn't have any needs, is not independent, is literally tying himself up with us. And he's inviting us to get tied up with him in this great adventure of bringing the good news to the world. And we are recipients, those of us who trust Christ, and we are messengers to the rest of the world. We have to keep reminding ourselves because the whole point of Paul's message was that right then and there, he says, now, God forgives all your previous ignorance. But now he commands you to repent. And he has appointed a judge of all mankind. And he has proven this by raising him from the dead. And we get to the resurrection and we get to the promise of eternal life. And here in the Areopagus, very few people respond. This is not one of Paul's great, great evangelistic moments. There's only a few that respond to this particular invitation. But Paul has reached out with the gospel and he's commanded people to repent. Now I've been thinking about an analogy that might help us grab, grasp this self-existence thing and something that's human so we can understand it. So let's take the most powerful person in the world the President of the United States, right? Now, you are a farmer in the middle of Kansas, all right? You have a son and three daughters. Your farm is struggling. Your son, who's supposed to take over and do all the heavy work, has been convicted of a crime and is serving a life sentence. Your three daughters, who might have been producing heirs that could take over the farm, they're all barren, can't have kids. You are stuck in the middle of nowhere, and life is terrible. And even though you didn't vote for him, the President of the United States knocks on your door, and he says, good afternoon. I just want to visit you and get to know you and tell you a few things because I really care about you. And I know you didn't vote for me, but let me just tell you a little bit about what I'm doing for you. You see, my son is today going to jail so that your son can be set free so he can come and work on your farm. All three of your daughters are pregnant. I've given them the most amazing uh, doctors, and they're all pregnant now. You're going to have grandchildren. And, oh yeah, I've expanded your territory by a thousand acres by presidential degree. Oh yeah, and on that thousand acres that I've expanded territory, there's lots of oil. And oh yeah, uh, I want you to be my secretary of agriculture. You see, God has given us this incredible, he, he didn't have to. He had no reason to go to Kansas. He had no reason to go fetch us in the middle of whatever desert we were in, but he did. 
And not only that, but he gave us a name, and he gave us offspring, and he gave us spiritual heritage. He gave us the oil of the Holy Spirit so we could live a full life. And he has promised us a position in the government of eternity where we will be his secretary of agriculture or whatever. So it's the best I can do, guys, the best I can do to understand like how crazy it is that this awesome God would come and fetch us. And he wants us to respond by repenting, by turning from the ways in which we are opposed to him, the ways that which we are ignorant of him, the ways in which uh, we have embraced the nonsense around us so that we could truly be those that he has called. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, but he really wants us. The I am wants us to seek him. And even when we know him, there's an eternity of discovery and we will never get to the bottom of who he is. We will be learning for eternity the riches and the magnitude and the wonder of God. Can I have an amen? Can I have an amen? So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Well, I've given you some along the way here today, but the first thing is know who he really is. Know the word of God. This, you've got to know the word of God. If you made a resolution to read the Bible this year and you kind of got bogged down somewhere in Leviticus over the last two weeks, do not give up. Do, yeah, somebody's laughing, huh? Yeah? Do not give up. Go, go to Matthew, read Matthew to Revelation, and then come back to Leviticus. It'll make a lot more sense if that's what you got to do. And if you didn't make a resolution to read the Bible this year, let me encourage you that it's not too late. It's January 17th. Read the Bible. Know the Bible. Know the Word of God. Every, every word is breathed by Him. Inhale this thing. Eat this thing. Know him. Grow in trust of your self-sufficient source of life. And be, be a carrier of the sanctity of life to all those that you meet and know. Number three, rest in God's sovereignty over every nation. Over every nation. Do not worry about next week. Do not worry about where things are headed because you know where you're headed. You're headed to eternity with the king of eternity. So don't worry about it. But bring the gospel. Tell them the good news. Tell everyone the good news. Celebrate our common humanity and dignity. We don't have to... We don't have to go through all kinds of training classes and we don't need diversity training. We don't need bias training. We need the Holy Spirit to walk with every single human being we run into with love and kindness and dignity and respect. God delights when we seek after him. Go after him. Give him the first few minutes of every day and he will do this. 
He will make your life shine like the noonday sun. That's what he will do for you if you give him the first fruits of every day. And share the good news. Share the good news that there is a perfect holy God who wants you, who wants to be with you. Oh, the graces and the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. We're going to respond to this by having the worship team come up. While they're do coming up and getting ready, here's some small group questions. What occurs to you when you consider that God has no origin and has always existed? God did not need you, but wanted you enough to have his son die for you. How does this make you feel? Let this capture your emotion and your imagination. And here's something that I think is mind-blowing in its own right. And that is that in addition to breaking the Trinity that Jamie talked about last week, that there's actually, there was a temporary fracturing of the eternal Trinity. There's also this. As best as I can tell from my Bible, Jesus is going to be a human being for all of eternity. He has willingly become a human being forever. Now, if that doesn't, if that doesn't speak to you, identification, identity, commitment, love, uh, the supreme humility of God to become one of us forever. I've been pondering that, and that, that is going to fuel my week and maybe the rest of my life in a different way. So, Father, as we ponder this word, we now come to you, and it is our turn to respond. We worship you, Lord. There's no one like you, God. There's no one like you. So come, Lord, fill this, fill this time and receive the fruit of our lips. Receive our offering of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, here's our benediction for today. Um, let's read this together. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Have a blessed week.